All of God's people said, praise the Lord. Thank you, team. Conformity and peer pressure is one of the great challenges, not only among young people, but adults as well. If a young student in school dares to be different, he or she would risk being alienated and bullied and even worse. Many parents in our society in general would go to any length to ensure that their child fits in, that their child is accepted, that their child not being different at all. I will be emphasizing that word different for a very important reason. Remember that word different. Because, as I will show you in a moment, that different can be very good. I'm also aware of the fact that uh, there are some amazing parents in this church who have encouraged, trained, discipled, and inspired their children not to conform or become bullied by their peers. Specifically, if that conformity is for evil or wicked lifestyles that is not glorifying to God. In fact, I say this as God my witness. I stand in awe of some of the parents in this church, the young parents, their discipling of their children, their training of their children, their godly upbringing of their children is truly inspiring to me. And I'll tell you the truth, that in the midst of this evil culture, and this growing evil, growing to be more evil every day, these young parents are such a blessing to watch. While society at large has bought into that fallacy that godly difference is bad, is bad, that godly difference is rejected, that godly difference, they say, psychologically damaging, that godly difference is unacceptable, and yet different is one of the attributes of our God. I've noticed these godly parents who trained their children well emphasize the fact that conformity or giving in to the peer pressure of culture is a form of slavery. That's what it is. Let's call it for what it is. Conformity to this or surrendering to the pressure, uh, peer pressure of culture is an enslavement to others' opinion of us. Conformity is accommodating to evil. Peer pressure is an enslavement to fads and fashion. On the other hand, being wholly different, being wholly godly different from the culture, that current culture that we live in, is very good. No, it is exceedingly good. I say, I'm going to show you in a minute. Holy difference is one of God's highest attributes. 
holy difference from humanity is what distinguishes our God, the great and mighty God, from all the gods of this world. In the last message, we saw how the sovereignty of God is the axle around which all other attributes revolve. Closely connected to that, closely connected to that is the holiness of God, being wholly different from humanity. Now, you may know that we have a great theologian uh, in our church here, soon to be known as Dr. Jonathan Youssef. Jonathan has been a theologian in our home since the age of five. (laughs) He said to me after the message last week, he said, you should have started with the holiness of God. (laughs) Because he reasoned that God's sovereignty without holiness could be misinterpreted as capricious. Well, the truth is, had I had an hour to speak, I would have had them together because they are interrelated, they are interconnected. The sovereignty of God and the holiness of God would have been one and the same message. But Jonathan is right on the importance of coupling the sovereignty of God with the holiness of God. And if you weren't here last week, download the message on the sovereignty of God. And the reason I'm focusing on the word different, 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 and not saying holy or holiness, because the word holy or holiness has really negative connotation in our culture today. It has a great deal of misunderstanding, because sometimes we refer to a person who gets isolated from the world and, and is sort of a religious recluse as a holy man. The Catholics and the Orthodox refer to their leaders as the, your holiness. Even I heard a former president of the United States referring to the Dalai Lama as his holiness. And so the word really have lost. That's why I need to give you a lot of explanation, especially for the younger generation. There are some, actually, some denominations who subconsciously perhaps Great holiness on a scale. You know, he or she is two, then he or she is six. It's on the scale of one to ten. <laughs> this is how they think of holiness. When Pope John II died, they were debating where will he be on that scale. By the same token, those very people would give God a ten as if he just a little higher than human goodness. That's what they would say. And the question is, why is this extremely erroneous thinking about the holiness of God? Because these same folks view God as the perfection of human goodness. And yet, this is a total falsehood when you see what God says about Himself. Let me remind you of what I said last week. It is not what I say about God. It's not what they say about God. It's what God says about Himself. His holy difference cannot be placed on a scale even though they might want to give Him a perfect ten. He is totally different. Listen to what the Word of God said. 1 Samuel 2.2. There is no one like the Lord. 
There is no one beside him. Listen to what Isaiah 40:25 says. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Beloved, that tells us that God's holiness is totally different from human goodness. Ah, different. Here's that word again. Totally different. The Greek word for holiness, hagios. Hagios. I, when I was second, third grade, I used to have a neighbor who would drag me with him during the week to go to the Coptic church to learn the, uh, the Mass. And the Coptic Mass is basically in Greek because the Coptic language is a Greek language. And I remember the first one of the early words I've learned in second grade, hagios. Hagios. The root word of the term hagios in Greek or holy, the root word means difference. Different. It can mean being set, set apart. It can mean be set aside. It can mean be transcendent or transformed. Above all, when you say God is holy, we are saying that He is very different from humanity. He cannot be compared to anyone else. He cannot be parallel to anyone else. He cannot be placed side by side with anyone else. <laughs> he is totally different. And that is why holy difference is good. And my beloved friends, listen to me, please. God tells us in His Word again and again and again and again that He wants His disciples to be different too, just like He is different. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. This is the will of God for you. Some people running around say, I want to know what the will of God is. Here's the will of God. This is the will of God for you. Your sanctification. I know that's a big word for some of our younger listeners. So let me give you a Yusuf paraphrasing of it. This is the will of God for you. You being different just as your heavenly Father is different. Different from what, you will ask? Different from the godless and immoral people. Difference from this fallen culture, difference from those who are going along to get along. And that is why the rest of the verse says, we must abstain from immorality. For God to be different from humanity, it means that He is different in purity. He is different in righteousness. He is different in His inability, inability to look upon sin. It's different in his inability to wink at sin. He's different in his inability to ignore sin. He is different in his inability not to condemn sin. He is different in his inability not to judge sin. As a friend of mine used to say, he went to be with the Lord. He said, if God manifests his holiness or glory, many a church would turn into ashes. And my beloved friends, that's exactly why the world is enraged, enraged at the thought of God's holiness and the holiness of the disciples of Jesus. Why? 
because they want a God who is like them. They want a God who approves of the lifestyle. They want a God whom they can manipulate. They want a God who is not wholly, totally different. A mega church pastor in Atlanta speaking to young pastors about his approval of the sin of homosexuality said, I know what the Bible said. I know what 1 Corinthians 6 said. I know what Romans 1 said, but please listen to me like you've never listened to me before. If you ever hear me say, I know what the Bible said, but I don't want you to walk out of here. I want you to run out of here. As Richard Land called this type of false teaching, blasphemy. Blasphemy. This week, the Church of England bishops have voted to bless same-sex marriage in England. Take it from me. This is the church in which I was ordained in 1975. Take it from me. This is the beginning of their demise. Why do they reject and resent the holiness of God? Because it condemns their conscience. Because it condemns the notion that God is okay with us no matter which way we live. It condemns the baptizing of sin into the church. And because of their insistence that both God and His disciples must accept their sin they will persevere. They will persist, not because of their faith, but because of their determination for their sin to be accepted. But you know and I know, there's only one way, only one way to remove, for the removal of God's condemnation of sin. There's only one way to remove God's condemnation of sin. There's only one way to remove the, God's condemnation of sin, any sin, any sin in any one of us. And it is by repentance and the placing of that sin, any sin, all sin, under the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. God who is totally, completely wholly different, loves to welcome repentant sinners, but not taking pride in any sin, any sin, for it is an abomination unto the Lord, and it's an insult to the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary. I'm going to show you a short video in a moment. But I'll give you a lint. I want to introduce it first. In the midst of all these highfalutin bishops debating, blaspheming in England last week, a young man, a layman, and I want to do this for, to encourage you. 
His father is a dear friend of mine, the best evangelist in England, best known evangelist in England. He will be preaching here, actually. The father will be preaching here in October 29. And he sent me uh, this short video from his son. With courage to rebuke these bishops. Please play it. Ben John, St. Albans 395. What our world needs, whether they know it or not, is the gospel. They need the Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't we all? The Jesus who washes, sanctifies, and justifies us. The hope, the gospel for all of us. Whatever our struggles and sins and temptations is that in Christ we are forgiven and that our sins and desires no longer define us. As Paul says, such were some of you. We do not need to hold on to sinful identities and behaviors. We have not been given a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We have been given a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. These proposals are wrong. They say that Jesus doesn't wash and sanctify you. That you do not need to take up your cross and follow him that there is no call to holiness, that the truth does not set you free. But love rejoices in the truth. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love calls people out of sin and to Christ, snatching them out of the fire with discipline so that their spirits might be saved. Please, bishops, I plead with you, withdraw the proposals and prayers. Turn from this path that you are on. Fear God, not man. Be the shepherds that God is calling you to be. Protect the sheep entrusted into your care by driving out this teaching that perverts the grace of God into a license for immorality. This teaching that tickles our ears to suit our desires. A teaching that leads to the broad road and not the narrow one. It's not too late. Turn to the beautiful, wonderful, glorious gospel. Why make ourselves like the world when we have the one thing that the world needs? The gospel of Jesus Christ where we receive our true identities as precious daughters and treasured sons of God. Amen. What courage. How can a disciple of Jesus differ like God is different? First of all, First and foremost, in fact, by obedient to the whole Word of God, not the bits that we pick and choose, not the bits that we like and leave out the ones we don't like, obedient to the whole Word of God. Secondly, by imitating Jesus, who is and was obedient unto death. But how does this work in practice? I know that I'm always... It's like a friend of mine was 
introducing me. I said, Michael likes to bring the cookie jar all the way to the lower shelf so that everybody can get it. I want, I want to speak in terms of practical way. I'm going to give you some examples, but I could be here for half an hour giving you example after example after example. So please listen. I'm going to move quickly. When you choose to forgive the ones who hurt you and despise you, you are imitating Jesus and you're becoming different. When you choose not to allow anger and bitterness to corrode your soul, you are different and you are imitating Jesus and you are different. When you choose to reach out in love again and again and again, you are different like Jesus is different. When you choose to be sexually chaste, you are different. When you choose not to uh, speak ill of others and gossip and backbite, you are different, like God is different. When you choose not to uh, hold the grudges against those who may have cheated you or maligned you, you are different. When you choose to submit to the authority of the Word of God and to those who faithfully uphold the Word of God, you are different. You're imitating Jesus. When you choose to faithfully and sacrificially give to gospel ministries, you are different and you're imitating Jesus. When you risk rejection by saying no to your friends who are doing the wrong things, you are different and imitating Jesus. When you choose to please God first and foremost, you are different. When you risk being unpopular with this wicked and evil culture, you are different and you're imitating Jesus. One of the passages in the Scripture that pulls me literally from the inside out is found in Isaiah chapter 6. This is when Isaiah came face to face with the holiness of God, with the holy God. He came face to face with the holy God. I often wonder, and some of you know this, I have a sanctified imagination, and I often wondered before Isaiah's encounter with the holiness of God, I wondered whether he was not like some of these professing Christians, some of these progressive Christians, so-called feeling good about himself, wants others to feel good about themselves and uh, take pride in his humility or, or being smug in self-satisfaction or, or thinking uh, that God is really fortunate to have his brilliant talent or, or, or thinking that, he, that God, he's doing God a huge favor by doing some things for God. I just wondered. And then God took Isaiah to the, his very presence. God gave him a glimpse of his holiness. God showed him a vision of his true self as differently holy. And when Isaiah got a glimpse of God's holiness, he was knocked on his face. I beg you, when you go home, take time. Read that chapter, Isaiah 6. Read it slowly. Read it several times. Let it just sink in. Because in chapter 6, verse 5, when he, Isaiah, saw the holy God, he said, woe to me, or woe is me, 
for I am a man of unclean lips and live among people with unclean lips. Beloved, whenever anyone, anyone encounter the holiness of God, far from accepting sin, whether it be in our lives or in the lives of others, far from blessing sin, far from tolerating sin, far from feeling good about oneself, we get undone in our sense of unworthiness. John Wesley came to Georgia to preach to the Native Americans. But a few years later, he had an encounter with the Holy God, and it transformed his ministry, transformed his life. Even D.L. Moody, the great D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, ministers for a little bit, and then had an encounter with the Holy God, and it transformed him. Now, my precious friends, to have an encounter with a totally different Holy God can transform us to the image of His Son. When Job saw the Lord, he cried out, I repent in dust and ashes. When Peter had an encounter with the God who created the fish in the sea, he was knocked on his feet, and he said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Please listen to me. Before the holiness of God, even angels are awestruck. Isaiah saw the angels bowing down and worshiping God and adoring God. Just as 700 plus years, almost 800 years later, John the Revelator saw the same thing. Think about this with me. Think about this with me. Angels who serve the living God day and night felt unworthy to be in that place. Angels who are not stained with human sin stand in holy fear and in reverence to the holiness of God. Today, ministers and disciples of Jesus take pride on being great communicators, being skilled, had management skills, or having charming personality. Thank God I don't have any of this. but not their willingness to lift up holy hand to a holy God. I'm absolutely convinced, this is my personal opinion, I always tell you ahead of time, take it or leave it, that we will not see a true Holy Spirit awakening or revival, call it what you will, until Jesus' disciples, until Jesus' servants begin to stand in awe of His holiness and not rationalize sin and rebellion. <laughs> Under the guise of relevance, or even evangelism according to them, they accommodated sin. I just read about a group of people some of the product you're going to see tonight if you watch Super Bowl, 
they are raising a billion dollars with the B. A billion dollars with the B. Advertise on television starting tonight. And the message is God gets us. He gets us. God is cool with us. Whichever way we are, He's cool with us. God is fine with us. He gets us. Lord have mercy. It's not that God gets us, it's that we do, do we get God. When Isaiah was confronted by the holiness of God, it knocked him on his face. None of that smugness of self-satisfaction, none of that smugness of self-esteem, none of that smugness of self-image, none of that smugness that God accommodates to us because He knows that he, we are evolving and He's evolving with us. God forbid he fell on his face and he said, God, I'm ruined. For I have unclean lips and live among people with unclean lips. Beloved, if we encountering the holiness of God in worship, listen to me. Whether it's personal or public. If you encounter the holiness of God and it does not overwhelm you with a sense of unworthiness and gratitude, chances are you don't know the holy God. In fact, it was Isaiah's brokenness before God. His recognition of his own impurity that moved God to do something, to empower him. That recognition caused the angel to bring a burning coal from the altar and place it on his lips. Only then, only then, he could be commissioned by God to speak for God. None of this stuff. I know what the Bible said, but... I think most of today's preaching, and I know many of you will agree with this, it goes something like this. If you repent to a certain degree, you'll be saved to a certain extent. That's sad. No in a million knows. As I think, I'm saved. My eternity is secure. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to live a holy life. I don't have to live in sanctification. I don't have... No in a million knows. Salvation is like a baby being born. A baby has to grow. A baby has to learn. A baby has to go through stages, otherwise we'll starve of malnutrition. And it works the same way spiritually. If you're not growing in holiness, sooner or later you're going to experience a spiritual disaster. I say that with tears, but I say that from first-hand experience. I don't tell you this as I bring all our thoughts together. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, described the Christian who is not growing in holiness this way. It's like a sealed bottle. Think of a sealed bottle, completely sealed. 
sealed bottle that's sitting under Niagara Falls. Not a drop of that mighty volume of water going inside such a bottle. Please ask yourself the question, please, for your sake, for the family's sake, ask yourself the question, am I a sealed bottle bobbing up and down in the flood of God's holiness and grace? And nothing is going inside. If you are in this condition, let me ask you, no, 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 let me plead with you. Don't be afraid of being wholly different. Don't be afraid. What are you afraid of? Is it rejection? Is it a change in your lifestyle? Is it wanting to be accepted at any price? Is it wanting popularity at any price? Now remember this. The God who sent an angel to anoint Isaiah's lips and gave him purpose and mission is the same God who wants to do the same with every one of Jesus' disciples, whether it be here or looking at me from around the world. He wants to do the same. He wants to do the same thing now, today. Don't fear man. What can they do to you? Confess to the Lord, and he will give you a holy fire and will empower you to be wholly different. Listen, I believe with every fiber of my being Again, this is just me talking. It's not thus says the Lord. That I believe with all my heart that the time of separation between the sheep and the goats, the time of separation between the true disciples of Jesus and the false ones has begun. Has begun. And the line of demarcation is only get wider and wider and wider in the days to come. If you want to have an encounter with the Holy God, stand up in your seat. If you, have, if you want to have an encounter with the Holy God, stand up at your feet and tell Him, God, I want to have an encounter with the Holy God and I want to be holy just like you are holy. God, I'm tired of living double life. I'm tired of being a sealed water bottle at the bottom of Niagara Falls. I want you to pour your floodgates into my life and use me mightily. Sanctify me. God will hear such a prayer. Take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, this week, tens of thousands of people woke up under a rubble, but we woke up in a nice warm bed 
and yet we take it all for granted. Lord, have mercy on us before it's too late. Holy Spirit, we desperately need your visitation. Move among us with power and great glory. Holy Spirit, renew our strength, renew our vision of a holy, different, different holy God. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. Every few weeks, I have uh, maybe twice a year or once a year, I can't remember now, but I have such a distinguished, a, a distinct pleasure and privilege to admit young people to the Lord's table. I'm going to ask all the young people to stand up, please. Stand up where you are. Your names are on the screen in case you don't know who you are. <laughs> Whatever you are.